Um, we're going to be talking through a very well-known parable, and here's, your, here's what you're going to be tempted to do. It's Labor Day, right? Labor Day weekend, which is odd that we celebrate work by not working. I always thought that was incredibly odd that that's the way we do that. But um, we are thankful for our jobs. We are thankful for breaks, right? Yes, amen. So uh, you're going to be tempted when, I, when you look at the parable for today to go, you know what? I've heard this one. I'm checking out. I'm going to start my Labor Day celebration right now. So don't do that. For a couple of reasons. One, I want you to remember that parables are not always what they appear. Often Jesus taught us in parables, not so we would get it quicker, but that we would miss it unless we really wanted to know what he had to say. Today is no exception to that. Plus, I want us to talk about this in some ways that that we haven't before, perhaps maybe ways you haven't thought about it. And I know I was incredibly convicted at going, just putting this sermon together this week. Um, you may be, or you may feel completely released and free as a result of going through the, ta- the parable of the talents. I want you to stick with me, and I want you to, to think through what we're talking about. I don't want you to walk out of here and go, that's a cool story about parables. I really want you to digest what I'm about to say, because I know God wants to say something to you about it. He's been saying things to me all week about it, and so um, I want you to follow along with me. We're in Matthew chapter 25. Let's just start with a parable. We're going to pick a few things apart, and then some things that I think that we're supposed to take from it. All right, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. If you have a phone or a tablet, or if you brought a desktop with you, I never assume... If you go to Starbucks at all, you don't know what people travel with. They bring out the mainframe, prop it up on the cafe table, and go, I don't know what they're doing, hacking into small countries or what. But um, whatever you have, you can follow along on version, and you can save those, uh, and you can send them to yourselves. You can take your own notes there as well. It's also a great tool um, for reading plans, which a lot of us are using in here. So if I'm not connected with you, by the way, on version, I would love to connect with you. Friend me. Here's one thing you need to know about me and social media. I rarely reach out to friend people because I recognize that not everybody wants to be the friend of the pastor. Amen? Right? I know that because I see your feed sometimes. I'm like, they didn't know I was following. They forgot I'm following them. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Not really, but kind of because I want to make you feel better. But I re- so I'm probably, if I see you, I'm probably not going to follow you unless you choose to follow me first. But if you do, I promise I will follow you back. All right. So I would love to see what you're reading. Um, and I love what some of you are doing and, and doing plans together and commenting on those to each other. The, the, that's just a, it's a great way to do community when we're not here in this place and yet still be sharpening each other. All right, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14, says this, for it will be like a man. Now, oh, Kidmo, yeah, Kidmo can go. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I've unfollowed Scott a long time ago, so that's all right. I will never know. I will never know. No, I'm kidding unfriending him later. But uh, yeah, Kidmo, you're welcome to go. And that, yeah, if you are a guest and have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a time for them to have their own small groups teaching and things. You can go back and see where they're headed and pick them up after. I'm always worried when kids walk out. It's kind of like the Pied Piper, like, will we ever see our kids again? Also, if you have kids in Kidmo, please pick them up. Don't leave them there. All right. Uh, so um, just a quiz. When Jesus talks in parables, most of the time, what is he talking about? Do you remember? Kingdom of, God. Kingdom of God. 
When we look at the parables, we are very easily assumed this is just some life principle. But often Jesus uses parables and actually says, for the kingdom of God is like, or it will be like in the kingdom of God. So as we look at these parables, we have to understand them not just in day-to-day living, which this is totally part of day-to-day living, living in the kingdom of God, but it is a calling out of the world in which we live so that we understand that there's a reality that exists beyond just what we see with our eyes. So when he begins this, for it will be, he's talking about the kingdom, all right? He's talking about the kingdom of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, let's pray together. Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to know you, to walk with you, to be here with you. I thank you for the opportunity that when we ourselves feel like dry bones, you give us new life. You reanimate us. You give us new hope, new purpose, and a future. I thank you for the opportunity to celebrate not only the death of Jesus for our sins, but his resurrection to conquer hell and to conquer death, that we can know you forever. I thank you that we can worship here in this place freely and without fear. And I pray that you would speak to us as we look into your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we look through this parable, this is one of those parables that you easily tune out. For a couple of reasons. One, you're not really sure how you relate to it. Because probably most of us, our deeper fear is we're the one talent person, right? The other thing is we look at this and we don't really know what to do with all of this information that we have based in this kind of lengthy parable. It looks like whoever this one talent person is, Jesus really has an issue with and wants them to know it. And you're not really sure, well, are the five talent and two talent people just so perfect Well, who's the one talent guy? 
And then when we begin thinking, well, I might be that one talent guy, then we start to struggle. So I want to look at a couple of things here that I hope will bring you freedom and may change your perspective on who you are and what God has done within your life. Now, the reality that I see in many people is that most people underestimate themselves. Now, if you're uncertain about a person and you think, oh no, they overestimate themselves, everyone else sees that too. Everybody who overestimates themselves lets everybody know how awesome they are. And they are the most fun people to hang out with, aren't they? I mean, you hang out and they're always letting you know what they've done, what they're good at. They want you to see how successful they are. And then somehow you just feel smaller and smaller and smaller when you're in their presence. Now, not everybody struggles with some level of insecurity, but I find it amazing how many do. How many people really struggle to believe that God can do anything special within them. Or that they have any place in this world other than to try to just survive and get through it. It's amazing how many people live their lives that way. Within the church, it's sometimes hard to determine where a person finds themselves in Christ. And to understand where they see themselves on the continuum of blessed versus forgotten or ignored. Oftentimes within our lives, that insecurity drives us to a way of living that hurts us and takes us to a place God never wanted us to go. Now, as we look at this parable, there's a few things we, you know, basic things to understand as we go through. Number one, the talent is not what we understand a talent to be. In fact, the talent in the New Testament was always a measure of weight For money, gold, silver, things of value, and a talent would represent a certain amount of weight. It was the largest unit of measurement that we find in the New Testament. It was always talking about finances or goods or something that could be sold. Now, along the way, as the church began to develop through the centuries, through the years, This parable became so significant in the life of the church that the word talent was literally spawned that you and I understand today. When we say someone is talented, we don't mean that they're wealthy, right? Oh man, you're really talented. That is not what we, that's not what we mean. We almost universally understand the word talent to mean that we are skilled, we are capable, we have some innate ability, and we don't just talk about a skill, we mean that we are more skilled than other people. I mean, people don't come up to me for my talent of being a great athlete, because I'm not. (laughs) I may have a talent in doing something athletic, I may have some skill, but compared to everybody else, no one's ever going to call me talented in that way. Whenever somebody talks about being able to speak or being able to do something, maybe it's your job or someone's just like, they are so talented at what they do. Maybe you're at school, you go to the talent show and the talent show is about this skill that's better than everybody else's. Although, not always, <laughs> if, but sometimes. And we understand talent as that skill or ability. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. And the reason I make that distinction is because when we solely look at this parable based on our skills and abilities, we will miss the bigger picture of what he's trying to say. Also, if we only look at it in the sense of money, like, 
you know, God's given you some money. If you don't give so much to the church, you're going to be cast out. Then that is also the wrong way to look at it, though. If you need that, you know, understanding today, that's fine with me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We have to look deeper. And one of the questions that often comes to my mind is, what's the big deal with the one talent guy? Why is what he's done so bad that he is going to be cast out into hell as far as we understand what Jesus is saying? I mean, he didn't steal it. He didn't give back less. He gave back what was given. Not great if you're an investor and you're looking for a return on investment. But really, what's the big deal with the one talent guy? Why is he so judged and so cast out when in our minds we're thinking he really hasn't done anything that bad? So what's Jesus doing here? So we have to understand a little bit about what a talent is. We have to understand a little bit about how that's developed and how our understanding of this parable has developed with it. I will tell you that when we understand this parable only in our skills and abilities, it is easier to dismiss what Jesus is saying. Because there's something nebulous about using those gifts that we have been given that we can feel totally vindicated that we're doing all we should do and ignore that perhaps we are also the one talent guy. So that's one thing that we have to understand. We also have to understand that God gives as he wills to accomplish his purposes. Now, we've got three different people, and God gives to each according to his what? His purpose, and, but they were, he gave according to each of their abilities. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. Now, keep in mind that in all of these scenarios, this is a lot of money for each of them. A talent understood in today's monetary measure is going to be somewhere in the ten to hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know anybody in this room, certainly not me, if somebody handed me several hundred thousand dollars, then I wouldn't be like, man, I, this is a you know, hashtag blessed day, right? <laughs> this is awesome. Now, the guy over there who's got five talents, he's got a heck of a lot more money than me, but I mean, still, I'm doing pretty good. And as we look at these, we sometimes think of the one talent guy as he's been pushed back, or he's just, you know, he's not favored, or he's just, you know, he's kind of not capable. But that is really not what Jesus is saying here. We have to understand that within your life, The talent that you have has been given by God at his discretion for his purpose, not your purpose. So some of the ways I want us to think about this talent, and I want you to kind of think about this in your own life, are what are some of the things in which God has given us within our lives? Some things he's given, he's given us some of our abilities. If you're good at something, God's given you that ability to be good at that. What are some other things that God gives us? Just shout them out. What are some other things? Stuff. Stuff. Although sometimes that's a curse, right? What else? A good starting point. A good starting point in life, like good family, mm-hmm. right? Opportunities. Yeah. What else? What else does God give us? What are some of the gifts of God? Mercy, wisdom, hope, discernment. Yeah. 
Sometimes it's the ability to know the right people, right? There are a lot of people that made great strides within their life simply because they happen to bump into somebody. Networking, if you're in the business world, is a huge thing, right? Sometimes those relationships that have helped us get along have been given to us by God. Scripture says that we have a spiritual gift that is given by God, and we are to be good stewards of that gift. A lot of time we do look at our finances and we think our finances are ours. After all, we earned it. We went to school or we learned to trade or we made smart business decisions or we were good investors and now the money's coming in and you know what? That's mine. I I have that. And we fail to see that the very things that made you capable of earning that were given to you by God. Now, one of the problems that we also struggle with, I struggle with, I don't know about you, I struggle with, is I often feel like a one-talent guy, and I feel like my life is full of five-talent guys. And then every time I look at them, I think, man, you're awesome. Way more awesome than me. Does anybody else do that? Okay, thank you for those that raised your hand. The rest of you can raise your hand silently because it's true about you too. There is something built into us that we compare ourselves to others regularly. We look at what somebody else has and we think they're a better speaker than me. Oh, well, that's mine. That's one of mine. Or we look at somebody and we go, they're so good at their job. Sometimes we'll spend years in a job and all of a sudden somebody new comes in and it's like they just go straight to the top. And we're like, how did they do that? I've been here for years. And it's hard to look at someone like that without becoming envious of them, isn't it? See, one of the things that threatens our contentment, the greatest in life, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a lot about contentment, that a lot of what Jesus is calling us to, even the 10 commandments themselves, all of the law, Jesus coming and providing for us forgiveness from sin and an experience with God that we can walk with, not only in this life, but for all eternity was a gift of contentment. You didn't have to have what everybody else had to be at peace with yourself, at peace with God, and at peace with the world. You could go through this world without the need for want. And it didn't matter how much you had. Because most of us understand contentment in the sense of the satisfaction of all of my wants. And the problem with that definition is you live in a world that is spending everything that it can to convince you there's one more thing that you need to be happy. Now, that is not always financial. That is not always something to buy. Sometimes that's the perfect family, right? We all know that perfect family. At least they look perfect on, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or whatever they're on. They look perfect. They have all the perfect pictures. They're always smiling and happy. And you're like, why am I not always smiling and happy? I read a story this week about a, about a kid in the United Kingdom who was so desperate for the perfect selfie that he took upwards of 500 selfies a day, never could find the perfect selfie, and ended up ending his life. Some of you read that article too, probably. He looked at everybody else in their perfect life, and he so wanted to have that too. And when he couldn't get it, life just wasn't worth living. 
We compare ourselves constantly, and that comparison constantly destroys our contentment within life. But what would it look like for you to live your life not without purpose, not without intention, not without godly ambition? What would your life look like if it were content, totally and wholly and perfectly content? What if you didn't want that whatever else? What if that thing that you wanted forever and you finally got it and that moment that when you received it, you were just like, yes. What if that's how you felt about your life all the time without having to get new stuff, without having to have the perfect family, without having to have everything go your way everywhere you go? Contentment is it's an elusive, elusive thing in this life. And it's one of the things that Jesus is calling us to. And yet, in order for us to receive it, we have to abandon our search for everything else, which is why so few find it. Because we search for contentment in addition for our search for everything else. And this is why Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And yet we look at his yoke and we think, oh, it looks heavy to me. Look at what you have to do. Look at what you have to become. Look what you got to be able to, to say and act and treat people. That's so heavy. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And that is the, the crazy part of living this life. And that what Jesus is offering is redemption from all of that. And yet we feel that it is actually another great burden. So as we look at this parable, we do understand a few things. We understand that the owner of the property is God. That's fairly easy to figure out. It's easy to understand that you've got the five-talent guy, the two-talent guy, and the one-talent guy, and we're a little uncertain about where we are. And if you're like me, some days I totally feel like the five-talent guy. Some days I feel totally like the one-talent guy. I mean, I just can be the whole spectrum. But I want you to understand all the things that you have, whether it be your personality, whether it be your aptitude to learn and to grow, whether it be your skills with your hands or your ability to use your intellect, whether it be how you exercise your education or what kind of job or career that you get and your ability to navigate that, whether it's your outlook on life, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. Understand that the collection of talents that you have, God has given you for his purpose and his expectation for us is the same expectation of the property owner to each of these three individuals. It is the expectation of being a good steward of the things that God has given us. Now, it's easy to talk about stewardship in in the area of finances. That is so cut and dry, so easy to do that. But it gets a little sticky, a little messy, and a little harder to understand when we spread that out and then we talk about being good stewards of my personality. How do I do that? Being good stewards of my education? How do I do that? Being a good steward of the fact that I came from a good family background or a good steward of the fact that I came from a bad family background. See, God has given each of us things that collectively we don't always understand what they're doing or what they mean or how we're supposed to live this out. But he says, in all that you have, I have given you according to my purposes. And I expect you to be a good steward of that. And in that stewardship, we have some different responses that we can make. And for the most part, what I'm going to do is kind of combine the five and the two talent people 
and separate the one talent person and look at them differently. Because here's the thing. There's probably not a person in this room, if I was the property owner and I had, oh, a couple of million dollars to hand out, you know, maybe, you know, three quarters of a million dollars to hand, hand out and maybe a quarter of a million dollars to hand out. Every one of you is going to want the big one, right? You're going to want the five talents. Because there's something in us that says more is better. There's something in us that says better is better. And this is where Jesus and his parables begin to throw things on its ear. Some of the most difficult things Jesus says that I scratch my head about are things like the first will be last and the last will be first. I am always looking for an opportunity to use that verse in a conversation. Always. It doesn't have to have anything to do with what you're talking about. It's so philosophical and over everybody's head that you could be just talking about where are we going to dinner, you know. The first will be last and the last will be first. And everybody just will stop and look at you. And there'll be a moment in their mind that they're thinking either you are absolutely nuts or you are brilliant. And I'm not real sure which it is. But this is one of those things. The thing that in every one of our lives that we think this is better, Jesus usually says that's actually worse. It's actually not better. Whenever you struggle financially, you look at those who aren't and you go, that is so much better. But yet we so many times see those with a great abundance who are miserable within their lives and they would not say it's better. And many times they will say, you know, when I had less, life was better. You see, whether you're in the five or two talent category or whether you're in the one talent category, they each come with their strengths and their weaknesses, their positives and their negatives, the joys and the temptations. And what Jesus is saying is not so much an issue of amount that you have to double what I have given you. What he's more talking about is what we do with it how we manage it, what kind of stewards we are of these things in which we've been given. For these guys, if you've got the five talents or the two talents, these are things that I see. And I, you know, kind of like Paul, I've had the opportunity to live with much and live with little. All right. Some of you know that as well. You know when life's easy and things seem to be going right, and then you know when things are hard and you're just hoping that that last thing doesn't clear the bank until your paycheck goes in, right? As we look at those things, if you're a five or two talent person, some of the struggles that they have are things that you would never expect. And one of the greatest temptations and struggles for all three is the area of fear within life. But for completely different reasons. You see, if you have five talents, you're afraid you're going to lose what you have. And so you become oftentimes hoarding, selfish, got to keep it. You know, a person with one talent, who the guy with five talents is thinking, you don't have to struggle with this. You're not worried about losing stuff like I am. I mean, look how much I have to lose. But the one talent guy, even though it's a great abundance in and of itself, can look at it and have fear completely different. There's not enough. I need to make sure I keep what I have. I need to make sure that I don't take any risks or chances because there's just not enough to go around. The five-talent guy and the two-talent guy are often going to struggle with the temptation of thinking, I have what I have because I am somehow better than others. They deal with pride. And in that pride, they look around and say, look what I have done. (laughs) 
Look at my kingdom. And as they do that, their pride swells and it can lead them so far from Christ. And we think, yeah, the one talent guy, he probably doesn't struggle with pride and yet he does. But pride in a different way. Many times those who have little look at those with much with judgment. And their pride is not look at my kingdom. Their pride is look how better a person I am than you. We have different temptations based on the things that we have. Maybe you're an outgoing person and that works well in your life. That works well in your relationships. That works well at work. And you just go around thinking, yes, I'm such a better people person than you. Look how good I am with people. Look how many people want to be around me. Look how many people love me. Look how many people think highly of me. And pride can come in. And yet a person who is very introverted, who is not the life of the party, can look at others with that same pride, with just a little different way and say, yes, but you are so flamboyant. You're just out there talking to anybody. You've got a thousand relationships and none of them mean anything. I'm a deeper person than you. There's all kinds of challenges that we each have that we don't always recognize that the others have as well. And the reason that is, is because you and I will live our lives thinking about our own problems and our own struggles and our own sins. And instead of looking at what does God have, what is he wanting to accomplish with his, pur- his purpose? Those with the five and two talent folks, I know some, I have some friends who are, are pretty well off. And they struggle in relationships because many people will come around them looking for their cut. And they struggle with knowing, are my relationships real or do people just want something from me? That's why sometimes you struggle with that at work if you're the boss because you recognize, are they only saying that because I'm the boss or do they, are they really my friend? And you think, oh, I never, my boss doesn't think that way. Maybe he does or she does. Because we all have our temptations. No matter what God has given us, we all have those things that either we're going to fear losing or we're going to just, you know, feel like we're not good enough or God doesn't love us as much. Or if we were just a better Christian, God would have given us more. That's not how God works. God gives as he will to to accomplish his purposes. Let me ask you to think through this sometime this week. What do you struggle with when you're next to somebody who has more than you? Whatever more is, more of whatever. They have better genes, they're prettier, more handsome, more athletic, they're smarter, more successful, wealthier, whatever your more is. How do you feel when you're next to them? Do you go, man, that is so awesome. I'm so happy for you. Are you secretly looking for all the little chinks in their armor so that you can point out how they're really not as great as I really feel like they am inside? Because that's often what we do. Understand no matter where you are, you're a five, a two, or a one talent person, and it is no indication of God's love for you based on how much you have. God is given based on his purposes, not based on your worthiness, not based on how good a Christian you are, not based on how well you navigate life's decisions. 
God equally loves those who he gives five talents to, those he gives two talents to, and those he gives one talent to. Equally, Christ had to die for those who had five talents, those who had two, and those who had one, because none of them could be righteous on their own. We are all equal before God. When we begin to look at ourselves, and more importantly, begin to look at others in the sense of not of envy, not of jealousy, not of I'm better than you or they're better than me. And we begin to understand God has just made us different. Then it changes the way we interact with people. And you may be thinking, well, why in the world are you going in this direction for this parable? I want you to understand that God has given your collection of talents to you for a reason. And it is not so that you can get everything out of life that you can possibly get. Okay? He has given you your collection of whatever that makes you you for a reason. And that number one reason is to bring glory to Him. Not to make your life perfect. It's not a test. He didn't give you these collection of things as a test and look back and go, I wonder how you'll do that. Yep, you totally messed that up. Primarily, He has given us these things to glorify Him. He has also given you your collection of what makes you, you, in order to shape you into the person that He wants you to become. I had an opportunity to have lunch with a good friend of mine who's a pastor in a large church in the area, and we just, we, I mean, our schedules never mix, but we had the opportunity to get together this week, and we just... We caught up and we were talking about, you know, what God has done and kind of how we've grown in our lives. And both of us, how we have had seasons of ministry of, quite honestly, great disappointment and discouragement. And yet one of the things we both have recognized, and it's taken a long time to recognize this, is had God not brought these seasons of discouragement into our lives we would have been incredibly prideful pastors. Because here's, here's what you need to know. We all struggle with the same thing. And God's gift of humiliation is a gift. It doesn't feel like a gift. God's gift of humiliation to remind you you're not the greatest thing in the world is a gift. God's orchestrating your events where you're struggling is a gift. It doesn't feel like a gift. No one in their natural understanding of how they're living life understands heartache, pain, struggle, disappointment, failure as a gift until you've had enough life with Christ to look back and see your primary goal was not my success. Your primary goal was that I would be shaped into the image of your son. One of the things that I really struggle with when I look at sound clips of pastors and teaching, there's a, there's a trend going on, and it's not new. It's been going on for a long time, and that is to talk about your destiny. It sounds so good. God wants you to have your destiny. I don't even know what voice that is, but it sounded good, didn't it? It sounded good. Woo! I want that. Thanks, Herman. That makes me feel better. That makes me feel good. I'm going to start, I'm going to start talking like that more often. 
Let's take the, let's take the offering. Now, <laughs> now, here's my issue with it. My issue is not that we should strive for great things in life. My issue is the fact that every single time destiny is linked to your success in this world, not in your becoming in the image of Christ. Because that is your destiny as a follower of Jesus. So if you want to fulfill your destiny, that means you become more like Christ. It does not mean you become the best salesperson in your territory. You do not become the best boss in your organization. You do not become the best pastor in your city. You do not become the best student in your class. Your destiny is to become like Christ. And if you're looking for all those other things too, that will not have much appeal to you. Because looking like Christ does not look successful. It does not look like you have it together. You don't stand on the mountaintop and say, Behold my greatness. You're often overlooked. Humility is a way of life that leads to great life, not to a loss of life. Because humiliation is the opportunity to see that God is in his place and I am in my place and that is a good thing. I trust him. God has given me what I have for a reason. Even the hardships that I'm going through in the moment, God is orchestrating a greater purpose in this other than my ability to navigate this world and feel good about it at the end. Financially, if you're struggling right now, I want you to understand God is in that and he's going to use that within your life. If you're struggling at work, if you work with people that don't recognize how good you are at your job, understand God is going to use that within your life to fulfill that destiny to become more like Christ. If you've done everything right and nothing's working out the way you thought it was, that is a gift from God to say, there is something better I am protecting you from. Or for, not from, but for. There's something I'm doing within you. And you're on a journey to get there and you're on a journey to find it. God has given you your collection of talents for a reason. And understand in all of this, you have much to offer. Now, if you are not on the top tier of the leadership scale at your job, you don't feel like you have much to offer. If you're not a top student in your class, you don't feel like you have much to offer. If you don't do certain things in large groups of people, you don't feel like you have a lot to offer. You know, so many times I'll talk to someone and say, you know what, you really get this. I really like for you to, to lead something. Oh, I can't lead anything. I can't lead. I'm not, I just, uh, yeah, I'm more, I don't want anybody to see me. Which is fine. That is totally how some are gifted. But understand, you need to know, is that because I'm gifted that way? Or is it because I don't feel like I have that much to offer? 
we all have much to offer because if we believe what Scripture says, we who know Christ have the Holy Spirit within us, gifting us, empowering us, making us into something different that the world can't even comprehend, and supernaturally empowering us to do things in the kingdom that no one may understand, and yet they are powerfully changing eternity. And yet so many times we just feel like, oh, I'm not a good singer not a good speaker, I'm not a good teacher. Those are the things that we hold up to a high level. And yet the way that Paul talks about the church, that's just a piece of the church and really not even the most important part. And yet somehow in the organization of things, because this is what we do in this type of a society and an economy, is we look at those who bring the bottom line up And we say, those are the important ones. And yet, that's not where we found Jesus. We don't find Jesus making a beeline to the greatest influencers. He makes a beeline for those that are often overlooked. Often not considered to be the movers and shakers of a culture or a society. And he transforms them into something they never knew they could become. It's amazing that Jesus works so much differently than us. Let's keep going. You have much to offer. Matthew seven eleven says, If you know then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good give gifts to those who ask him? No matter what your collection of talents is, God loves you and he has given you those as a good gift. Another thing I want you to see in this is that pride is the sin that kills contentment. Pride is the sin that kills contentment. See, pride is something that we want to hang on to because it makes us feel good about ourselves. And it's what Jesus is trying to get us to get rid of because it is killing us. The elevation of self. The me versus the world. It's killing us. Pride is the sin that kills contentment. So why is the person with one talent judged and not the other two? Matthew 25, verse 24. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. I think the interesting thing in the way that Jesus responds in this is he says, you were a hard man. You reap where you do not sow any seed. Why is that his impression of God? Why is that our impression of God? Fear, anger, resentment, bitterness. Sometimes it's because we don't know why God gave us only one talent. Why am I not the five-talent guy? Why am I not the two-talent? Why am I the one-talent? I mean, come on, these are my friends. You gave him five times more than me. You gave him twice more as much as me. Fine. Give me the one talent. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm going to bury it, and I'm done with it. I don't even like what you've given me. And while none of us often look at our lives this way, this is why many of us are destroying our lives is because we look at God and we say, why have you not given me more? Why am I struggling with this? Why do I have this physical problem? 
Why can't I speak better? Why aren't I better at making friends or talking to people? Why can't I just go through my job and get raise after raise, promotion after promotion like everyone else seems to do? I've been here longer than anybody else and I'm not getting a promotion. God, why haven't you given me more? You're hard. You're asking me to go and change the world, but you've only given me one talent. You reap or you do not sow, i.e., sow me four more talents. And that is how many of us struggle to trunch through this world or we're trying to understand what is God's calling. And I want you to know, there are so many things in this world that are working against you. But most of them don't matter. But we think they matter. Pride is a sin that kills contentment. The desire to be better, the desire to at least be equal, and whatever we view as equal is something that will destroy our souls. So as we look at this with the one talent, we have to understand that sometimes we look at God and say, God, I am angry with you because you have not treated me as fairly as you treated everybody else. And yet God has still given us an abundance more than we could possibly ever thank Him for. And something in us says, it's still not enough. I'm just going to bury it. I'm not a good speaker. I can't sing like they can. Nobody claps when I'm on stage. I'm just going to bury my gift. I'm just going to bury my talents. I'm just going to bury everything. Because you know what? If you had wanted me to really make a difference in the world, you would have given me more. And the reality is, Jesus is telling us over and over again, I have given you enough, more than enough. These associations of who's better than somebody else, that's something we've come up with. That is not what God does. That is not how He thinks. That is not how He works. He pretty much says, you all stink, and yet I still love you. It is us who begins to put this hierarchy together. And we do it in some of the worst ways. It's easy to do it financially. Oh, those that pull in up in the nicest cars. And they got it together. I found myself thinking that last night several times. <laughs> Woo, those guys got it together. Sometimes the things that we use to disseminate between people are things that we ought not be disseminating between people. Sometimes it's skin color, right? We have a margin right here that says this is my minimum margin of what it means to be a good, successful person. And through our history, what we've seen is skin color often stops right there for some people. You'll never reach my margin. And how, how useless is skin color? My skin color changes however much I've been out in the sun, right? What use is that? Sometimes you have struggled and you have found that it can be, gender can be a thing, that that, you don't meet that minimum thing. God, if you had made me a man, I could have changed the world. Have you looked at men? They're not changing the world for good. There's only one that did, right? I read scripture and I read stories about Deborah. My sister was named after the judge Deborah. 
who rescued an entire people. Look at the genealogy of Jesus and we think, oh man, only the best would be in his lineage. And yet there are prostitutes in his lineage. We look at those that got Jesus and didn't. And sometimes the wealthy got him and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes it is the poor that truly understood the heart of Jesus. Sometimes we do this, Christians, religiously. You're not a Christian. You follow some other religion. You don't meet my minimum standard of what it means to be a good, successful person in this world. I'm going to tell you that truth is truth, and we will be judged by God based on His criteria and no one else's. But that doesn't mean that I don't love them like brothers and sisters in my life, even if we don't believe the same thing. Now, don't go out here saying Mark's like everybody is saved, no matter what religion you are. I don't believe that at all. There's only one name by which a person can be saved, and that name is Jesus. But I don't have to treat them like they're second-class citizens because we have different beliefs. If you've got a friend that voted for the opposite party of you, They're lower-class citizens now, aren't they? I mean, like, friendships have ended over what's going on in politics. And I think, for what? Are they really worth casting off all your lifelong relationships with? Are they that great? Nobody says yes. It's like a necessary evil we live in, right? And yet we completely break off relationships because you voted for somebody else for me. See... There are so many things that we are trying to create this playing field of who's good and not. And we will, in ourselves, in our own minds, in our own hearts, we will also do that to ourselves and miss the fact that God is giving us so much more. The fact that God is at work and God is changing things. It is incredible what God is doing. i got to finish up. I thought I was going to be done early today, but... You may all need to stick around for a little while. All right. We will be judged according to God's expectations, not our own. One other thing, other thing I wanted to point out in this, and that is that the property owner, God, is going to show up, and our excuses won't matter. Our ability to spin a story won't matter. Our, but you don't understand what my life was like won't matter. But you don't understand the people I do life with won't matter. God's going to judge based on his criteria. And in this one, the, the, the one with one talent who buried it and said, God, you know what? I'm not even gonna... just going to bury it. I don't have anything to do with this. I don't have anything to do with you. You will be judged. That is going to happen, and it's according to his priorities, what he's called us to be judged on. And we in this world, we are so... We are moralistic wafflers, <laughs> We make a moral stance on whatever is the issue of the day. That is not how God works. Just because a whole bunch of people have done a, you know, some kind of change.org petition does not mean that God has changed. You know, they've gotten 100,000. Jesus, they have gotten 100,000 signatures. We need to relax this. God's never going to do that. He has his scales. And that's what we've got to follow. So what do I leave with you? These are, these are the five things, and I, I'm going to go through these quick, so don't, don't check out on me. Five quick things I want you to take from this. I hope that this summarizes what I've just said. Number one, you have to trust God. 
if you don't have as much as someone else that you perceive has more, you need to trust God with what he's given you. If you look at your circumstances and what's going on in your life and you think God is against me, you need to trust that what God is doing in your life right now, he has a purpose and a process for. He is taking you somewhere, but you're going to have to trust him because in order to get you there, he's got to get you to think differently than the rest of the world thinks. It is not easy. You've got to trust God. He knows what he's doing. And he's working not to make you successful. He's working to transform you into his own image. God is at work. Trust him. A second thing. This is real easy. Be content with what you've been given, right? Go do that. You'll be fine. Go be content. Okay. All right. I'm going to go be content now. I know this is difficult. But this is the thing that we're searching for. When, when God says, this is how I want you to live your life. He's not saying it just so he can have some arbitrary group of rules that make life difficult. He's saying this is the path to contentment. This is the path to joy, to peace, to hope, to love for all eternity. This is the path. Follow it. Be content with what you've been given. If you are not the best person at your job, if you are not the best person in your class, if you're not the best person in your church, if you're not the best person in your family or your neighborhood or your friend group, it's okay. Because that's not what God created you to be. Be content with what you have been given. Play your role in God's bigger purpose. Don't try to get God to play a role in your bigger purpose. This is all about Him. Third thing. With that being said, don't be content with where things are right now. How's that for one of those last is first, first is last conundrums, right? Be content, but don't be content. Right? You know, that's a terrible thing to do. But this is what I want you to, what I mean by that is, understand God is in a process. We can also just sit back and go, okay, God, whatever you're going to do, I'll just sit here. And a lot of people do that. Sometimes sitting here means I'm doing everything in my life except focusing on Christ. That is just sitting here, even though you're really, really busy. I'm involved in every sports team, every school team, everything else that's going on. We've got three committees after work, committees at work that I'm a part of. I just don't have time to come and worship. That's just sitting. Even though you're really, really busy. Don't be content because God is calling you to something more. Be intentional. Understand this concept of investment in God's kingdom and God's purposes. All that we have, we give to the glory of God because God is working a bigger purpose for the whole world. Fourth one, for those of you who have been saying, I don't matter, I don't have much, I'm not as good, you've buried your talent. That's that's what you've done. You've buried it. You said, it's not worthy. It's not good enough. It's not as good as everybody else's. I'm just going to keep it back. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to stay in the shadows. For some of you, you need to unbury the talents that God has given you, and you need to use them. I know that's fearful. It's much easier to bury them than to use them. The last thing, reap the reward of living the life that God is preparing you for. As you seek out to live the life in this way, Matthew twenty-five twenty-one, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. 
I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the price. That's where we're headed. Are you burying your talent? You angry with God because you've got a raw deal, gotten a raw deal in life? You're mad at him? Or maybe you're just jealous of others? Maybe you've internalized it and said, God doesn't love me as much. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't see us that way. God doesn't operate in that way in the world. We operate that way. That's why he's calling us out of it. Reap the reward of living the life that God is preparing you for. Would you pray with me? Father, God, these parables at times are so difficult to comprehend. Sometimes we comprehend them and following through and living them out just feels overwhelming. Father, I pray that you would bring a sense of freedom and relief in this room. That you're not judging us on how good we are. That you've never used that as our criteria. That has always been Christ in us and that's the only thing that is good in us and that makes us acceptable to you. I thank you that You have given us the Holy Spirit and you have drawn us to not just be acceptable, but we can become in the image of Christ himself. I thank you for that joy and that hope. Thank you that you're calling us to a life of fullness, even if the world looks at us as if we have failed. We know we are full in you. I pray for those in this room and they have buried their talents and they are scared to dig them back up. And God, I pray that you would give them the courage and the understanding that you are with them. You are at work in them. You knew what you were doing when you created them in this way. You have a plan for them. And if they will just follow you and trust you, it will be glorious. I pray that you would be that for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.